are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello and welcome to Where Your Treasure Is. Today we are continuing in our series about conversations about money and we're going to be focusing today on the internal conversation about money in our own heads and hearts. It is great to have you with us again today. So I'm going to start by posing a question to you, Bex, which is the internal conversation. What does that mean? Why are we going to spend a whole episode talking about the internal conversation about money? I think it's really important because it's actually happening all the time, whether we are aware of it or not. Maybe when you get your paycheck, it sparks thoughts in your head, worries or excitement, Perhaps when an unexpected expense comes up, like your car breaks down or your heating breaks, your brain suddenly goes off in one direction. All of those are internal conversations about money. And really understanding where we're coming from, what's going on in our heads and our hearts in that moment is important because our present informs our future. And if we're not aware of what's going on, our internal narrative then ultimately I think we're going to end up with the same results without maybe knowing why or some of the things we could address or change in that situation. So we're talking about some kind of self-awareness about our attitude to money. And that is often, I think, defined by the conversation we have with ourselves about money. I can imagine the situation You buy something at the shop and then you think to yourself, oh, maybe I shouldn't have bought that, feeling a bit guiltier. I could have spent it on something else. And in fact, oh, I heard a preach on Sunday that maybe we should give more to such and such. And now I'm not feeling quite so good, but I also want to save up money for that thing. It just goes round and round. So what is it, Bex, that starts to define our attitude towards money? When does it start? Well, I think if you take the principles of spiritual formation, that we're looking to become more and more like Jesus, and if we apply that to this conversation and our own kind of personal formation as well, then we can trace it all the way back to when we were young. You talked in the last episode about what is your first memory of money and how often that can reveal a lot about our attitude. And so we can almost start way back as far as we can remember and trace that forward in a variety of ways. And I think if we do that, we'll begin to see some of what forms our attitude towards money. Do you think then that our earliest experiences of money define perhaps forever our attitude towards money? And if so, can they be changed? I think they can define our attitudes to money whether we know it consciously or not but I think one of the wonderful things about Jesus and the Holy Spirit is that in God's kindness he often reveals things to us that maybe we weren't even aware of that have had a significant impact on our character formation or on our worldview and actually I believe that when we invite the Holy Spirit into those situations to shine a light on that then often actually we can either experience healing or we can just become aware of that and change our attitude as a result. And so I think the first step before we decide whether we're changing anything or not is to identify actually what's going on in there, what's happening under the surface. 
So how do you think we practically go about beginning to understand our own personal attitude towards money? Is there a test that you do or or what kind of questions should we ask ourselves to to begin that process of self-awareness, I suppose? So I am a person who loves to reflect. One of my favorite things about the end of a year and the start of the next one is taking a moment to pause, to look back on what's been, what went well, what didn't go so well, and then to set goals going forward. And I think we can do a similar thing with money. We can look at all the different factors that go into that, good and bad, and we can almost hit pause, see where we're at and see where we want to go and what adjustments we need to make along the way. So off the top of my head, I'm thinking factors that might influence our attitude towards money could be things like our family. So what was our financial background as a child? How did our parents or carers or significant family members talk to us about money or not? And what were their attitudes towards money? Our education, so how much we were actually taught about money, whether that was something that was spoken about or not our experience. I know that as someone who has experienced a little taste of debt, sometimes that can inform my decisions, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Our politics, whether we're left-wing leaning or right-wing leaning, might influence how we view money. Our faith and our perception of class and actually where we sit in that system as well. What would you add to that list, Simon, or take away? I think that comment about experience is really key. It triggered thoughts for me of significant memories to do with money growing up and decisions that the family made or situations we found ourselves in. There were times when there was money available and we could go and buy a new car or we could go on a holiday. And there were times when there was no money available. And I remember one moment when one of my deputy head teachers at school lent me £20 so I could buy a pair of shoes to wear to school. Now, it sounds far worse than it really was, but there seemed to be moments I look back and go, oh, that happened to me. And because it happened to me then, I now make decisions financially driven by those experiences. And there are moments I can think in my life where maybe I have felt guilty about spending money because I know what it's like not to have money. I think there are moments when I felt guilty not spending money because I've been too conservative. And I think one of the dangers we have around the topic of money is its ability to impact our emotions in the moment, but also over huge swathes of time potentially. And I think another key factor in that as well can be what environment are we in? I know when I was at university, the prevailing attitude towards money was that it didn't matter really, um, that SAS would come in every month, you'd get your student loan and that that would be enough to sustain you. Overdrafts didn't matter. And really it was about having a good time. It was living for the moment. And so that was the attitude that I began to pick up because that was what I was surrounded with. I've had other moments in life where I've had friends who've been a lot wealthier than me And so that's almost um, sparked a comparison in my head of, oh, why can't I afford to do that? What's going on there? And I know there's been times that I've been surrounded by generous people and that has prompted me to be more generous and almost to think outside the box in that in terms of 
wow, how could I be more generous? And so that can be another factor that affects our own internal narrative when it comes to money. And if we can see that, if we can see that people around us impact our attitude towards money, then in reverse, our attitude towards money must impact other people. And as a Christian, one of my desires is to have a positive impact on those around me, to live a Christ-like life. And if I can get my attitude towards money right, then I've got a better chance of being, like you said, that positive influence. I prefer to encourage people towards generosity than towards guilt or fear when it comes to money. But I don't think I can do that until I get my own understanding of what do I really feel and think about money? How do I use it in my life? And am I happy with that? Because if I am, I might approach money and conversations about money with confidence, not with pride, look at me how clever I am, or look how much money I've got, which is a very dangerous factor, and not with fear and guilt of, oh, I get it wrong all the time and I shouldn't be one to talk about it. But with a confidence not necessarily born just from me, but that is also born out of the Spirit's work within me that says, you know what? You can teach others, you can show others, but you've got to start with yourself. Absolutely. And you touched a little bit there almost on values and what matters to us with money and I'm thinking about your day job and you're advising people and actually to be able to successfully advise them and for that individual or that family to be able to achieve what they would like to with that money you must go through a process of helping them to identify their priorities their values how they want to spend their money and maybe why they want to spend it that way so can you talk a little bit about what that process looks like or how we could begin to dig into that in our own lives? Absolutely. It's actually a part of the job that I really enjoy but can sometimes find quite difficult. Let me explain why. I will ask prospective clients a series of questions. What is important about money to you? What is it for in your life? Who matters most in your life? What are your earliest memories of money? What did your parents teach you about money? And then we dig into what are their values in, in the widest possible sense? What are their goals that they would like to achieve? What are their priorities? If they only had a certain amount of money, what would they spend it on? And we begin to gather this pretty big picture of the kind of people that they are. And I have these conversations where people almost inevitably say, oh, you know, we're not extravagant. We only spend £50,000 a year on holidays, but we're not extravagant. You go, what? And you have to keep a straight face. Oh, yes, that's quite normal. Yes, you're not extravagant, are you? Oh, no. And I have to be very careful not to judge people because the fact that I have a certain set of beliefs and experiences and attitudes towards money doesn't mean that everybody else has to. I deal with a range of different people in a range of different financial circumstances. And what I want most is for them to feel comfortable with the position that they're in, able to talk about it, able to receive 
what I'm hoping is godly wisdom in their circumstance, whilst encouraging them gently towards things like generosity or towards faith. And it's quite a fine balancing line to get it right. I love having those kind of conversations with fellow believers because there is a beautiful parallel between their values and mine. And suddenly we connect and go, oh, we know what this money is for. God has called us to be good stewards of all that he has given us. How can I help you be a good steward of what he's given you? I'm not so keen when it comes down to, I want to buy a new Range Rover every year. That's my priority. You know what? I find it hard to work with those kind of people. And I think you've just given us a brilliant example as well of that self-awareness in action because we don't just want to become aware of how we view money for the sake of it or to navel gaze or to just think, oh, aren't I great? But you have shown there that that self-awareness allows you to be impartial, to allow other people to express their opinions on money and to be able to give them the advice that helps them reach their goals whether you agree with those goals or not. Because ultimately, if you weren't self-aware, then you could just be like, oh, well, you don't want to spend your money like that, rather than allowing that person to be heard and to make their own decisions. And so my question is, does what we do with our money matter just on earth? Or do you think how we conduct ourselves in our financial affairs has an eternal impact? I do think it has an eternal impact. And I could say all sorts of trite things about this. So let me try and explain to you where my belief set has come from when it comes to money. And it does start with that idea that everything is the Lord's, the world and everything in it. And he gives to us, whether it's an income or our health or relationships, he gives us stuff with an expectation that we manage it wisely, that we're good stewards. And the wiser we can be as stewards, my belief is, the more able God is to give us stuff to steward. So sometimes there's a benefit to us in the here and now. God does want us to live life to the full. And it's not all about having lots of money. In fact, people who I have worked with professionally who have lots of money can still find themselves emotionally and relationally in very bad places. Whereas those who sometimes have to depend on God entirely for day-to-day provision have such strong faith and are full of such joy. So how do we walk that line of having money, having wealth, having an income, owning assets, and yet being good stewards? There's an example in the Bible, Jesus meets the wealthy young ruler. And his advice to the wealthy young ruler is, give it all to the poor and follow me. And that man can't do it. He walks away. Actually, it's one of the very few times, if not the only time in the Bible, when Jesus says, give it all away. In the book of Acts, we have this moment where everyone is kind of living together in the church. They're sharing things. And it says this, from time to time, people would sell a house or a field and lay the money at the disciples' feet. What that tells me is there were people who had wealth and in a moment they were called upon by God to sell an asset and to give the money away. Not all of it straight away. So God is providing us with the resource that he needs for his kingdom and almost testing us, are we doing with it what he wants us to? 
So we are God's servants in that respect. We are his managers of wealth. We are his stewards. And he's using us and our ability to further his kingdom. That impacts us and others. But you also have this idea that you can't take wealth with you. We shouldn't store up treasures for ourselves on earth where rot and rust and moths destroy or whatever the verse is. But we should store up for ourselves our treasures in heaven where these things don't happen. It's the idea of you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. Now, again, I don't want to be trite with that. For some people, giving money away is incredibly difficult because of their situation. If we take the idea of the tithe, no matter what your biblical belief on giving is, a 10%. For some people, giving 10% would be catastrophic in their situation. It would throw them into debt. It would cause a spiral of mental health issues of relationship breakdowns. For others, giving 10% is no way near enough. It wouldn't be sacrificial. They've got been given so much that they need to be joyful in giving so much more to the work of the Lord. Those kind of internal conversations and conversations with other people really begin to define, from a faith perspective, our attitude and our handling of money. I think it has eternal consequences. And I think what's really interesting is that in those two passages of the rich young ruler and the community in Acts, it suggests to me that the decision they made about money wasn't just a head decision, but that actually it was a real indicator of what was going on in their hearts. And I think a really helpful way to pay attention to what's going on in our hearts sometimes is to listen to our emotions. Now, I am someone who can be very emotionally driven. And so sometimes I actually need to take a step back from that and to clear my head. But I love that God created us with emotions and that each emotion has a purpose and can tell us a little bit about how we're reacting to that. So for instance, if we are having a conversation about money and we're feeling really anxious, then actually what could that anxiety be telling us? Could it be telling us about our past experience that we have lived with a scarcity mindset? Could there be really valid concerns there? And actually that anxiety is almost a protective mechanism of, I'm not sure if I've got the money to spend that. I need to take time to consider that. Or could it be indicating something else entirely? But I think the more that we understand how we personally react to situations and what those emotions are telling us, it can help us understand what's going on in our hearts and therefore how to make decisions that align to what God is asking us to do. See, you and I, Bex, are somehow so very different in that because of my professional life sometimes, my approach to money is often very logical. Here is this money. It is a tool. What will I do with it? Well, the logical thing to do is to try and get the highest interest rate or to increase my pension or to pay off the mortgage or whatever it is that gives the financially best outcome. And that's the kind of advice I would often give to clients. Logically, the best thing to do with your money is X, Y, and Z. But actually, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned, I learned on a marriage course, and it was my wife and I talking about our past experiences of money and our attitudes towards money. 
And I was inherently a saver. I didn't grow up with a whole lot of money. And therefore, when it came, I wanted to be cautious with it, to put it away somewhere safe, either for a rainy day or for the distant future. I felt I had a very good attitude towards money and that my wife, and I do love her very, very much, spent too much. But what we learned as a couple is that we had different skills when it came to money. Yes, I was quite good at managing money. I would keep records and I would reconcile the bank account and I would track our budget and all that boring stuff. But I wouldn't buy birthday presents for people and I wouldn't replace my shoes or my clothes. These things weren't important to me. But she was a better user of money. She cared about what our lives were like, what our relationships were like. And she saw money as this tool. It was just there to be used, not recklessly or frivolously, but we had money and we should do certain things with it. It wasn't right to send the kids off to school in scruffy old uniforms. So I manage it and she uses it. And we have come to work together to get a much better outcome than either of us would have done had we been working separately. And that really highlights why we want to have this series about conversations about money, because we're all wired differently. We all come with different experiences. But actually, sometimes when we bring that diversity together, we discover different views that we wouldn't have thought about, or we actually come to a better ultimate solution by relying on lots of different people's experiences and gifts. And not only can we have those conversations with each other, but we are also in an incredibly privileged situation where we can have that conversation with the almighty God. And actually, when we invite the Holy Spirit into those areas, when we are open to him, we touched a little bit last week on vulnerability, but when we actually lay ourselves bare in that situation, we can allow him to highlight perhaps experiences or attitudes that are shaping our view towards money. And we can invite him in to help us to change them and that will ultimately impact our behavior both in the present and in the future. One of my greatest if not the greatest aspiration in my life is to one day get the well done good and faithful servant and how can I be a good and faithful servant if I don't know what God's asking me to do? And whether it's because of the profession that I'm in or because of the blessing that he has given me, some of the well done will relate to what did you do with what I gave you? How did you manage your own relationship with me, says the father? How did you look after your relationship with other people? And how did you manage the resources I gave you? And yeah, the Bible is a fantastic resource of knowledge and wisdom about how to handle wealth. But it's not the only resource. We have people around us who are full of experience and knowledge and faith who can also help define our attitude towards money and possessions. And then like you say, Bex, we have the Holy Spirit that can speak straight into our lives, maybe through our emotions, maybe through our thoughts and our feelings, to guide us to make good money decisions. And I think if we more often checked in with God before we jumped in and made those money decisions, we would end up with much better outcomes and feeling a whole lot better 
about the process we went through as well. Absolutely. And something like the examine prayer, uh, which is centuries old, can be a really helpful tool in just helping us to pause, slow down and reflect and allow God to speak into that. And so we're going to wrap up this episode on internal conversations. And we are looking forward to continuing the conversation with you next week. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions that you'd like to post to us, then please feel free. You can email us at whereyourtreasureis at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or send us a message on Instagram at whereyourtreasureispodcast. And so we will see you next time when we continue our conversations about money. See you then. See ya. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.